So the truth is, at the time I was living a double life. No one knew it, of course, and I preferred to keep it that way. I was at Kutztown University as a student, and I was keeping up with the best of them. That was my job. You could find me in the basement of the local frat house or hanging out with the populars or staying connected with non-scrupulous people, most of whom were my friends that were on the track team. Or you could find me at the local Newman Center attending the Bible studies, talking about Jesus, praying with strangers, just as long as each group never knew that the other one existed in my life, everything was Gucci. Until, of course, a Protestant from the Newman Center decided to join the track team. And panic started to set in a little bit. I knew inevitably both of these things were going to clash and come to a head. And sure enough, that happened one day when I was standing in line for pole vault, doing pole vault drills. And all my friends were around me and we were talking about, I don't know, Snoop Dogg. And up walks mega Protestant Christian Casey. And she starts talking about Jesus. Total conversation killer. Everybody gets quiet. And of course she's talking to me. And because I'm sitting in line, I'm totally prisoner to this situation. And my discomfort continued to mount. My heart's pounding, my face is flushing, my palms are sweating. And then finally I just said, Casey, Casey, Casey. Can we talk about this another time? Now she read me like a book and without hesitation looks at me and says, you know, I am, I am so sorry that you are ashamed to love Jesus because he is not ashamed to love you. And she walked away. Dang. Didn't feel good, did not feel good, but that's not important. What's important? Was she right? Was she right? See, the amazing thing is I look back on that situation all these years later, is that here she is, she's at probably 19 years old. She's willing to risk her friendship with me, and depending on how I respond, my relationship with Jesus Christ, by calling me out <clears throat> in the hopes that my cowardice which was killing me spiritually, but quietly, would have been rooted out. And I have to say, even today, I am still very grateful that she did that. But I have to admit, what she did was hard. And in my experience and in conversations with others, it's very clear to me that one of the hardest things to offer anybody is fraternal correction. We hate it. We hate it. We hate it because we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. We hate it because we don't want to cause them shame. Although Casey clearly didn't have a problem with either of those. But on a selfish level, I think we hate it because we don't want people to hate us. So we do everything that we can to try to avoid it. And I think that is very understandable. But when the situation calls for a correction, to not do so is unacceptable because it's not Christian whether it's as small as a character flaw or as great as a serious moral fault. 
Now, Casey could have complained to other people about my duplicity, that would have been fair. She could have talked about me to various family members and friends. She could have harbored resentment against me in her heart, and maybe even the Catholic Church, which I represented, which is how I think many of us tend to respond. But all of those things in the final analysis, they work against reconciliation and charity, and therefore, against the communion that Christ died to achieve. So St. Paul said in today's second reading, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For one, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. But sometimes love means we're gonna have to have a heart to heart. And that is our responsibility to each other and it is our responsibility before God. But there's another side to that coin because love also means we have to be willing to receive correction as well. <laughs> and that is also very hard. In Old Testament times, this is how, this is God's style. In Old Testament times, he would send his prophets to his people. And their job was to call the people into covenant fidelity by proclaiming the word of God to them. Sometimes that took the form of consolation, but most of the time it was correction. And to this extent, God warns Ezekiel in today's first reading, look, if I tell the wicked, a wicked one, you shall surely die. And you, as my prophet, do not speak out to dissuade the wicked from his way, so you don't correct him. The wicked shall die for his guilt but I will hold you responsible for his death. So the prophets on their part, they would set out and they would warn and correct the people, not out of malice, but out of love, love for God because God had sent them, but love for the people because they want their people to be spared. How do you think the people receive that? Well, Jesus tells us in the gospels, they put every one of them to death. So it kind of breaks down. It's not really a good, good model there. Now, the responsibility to offer correction is something that exists for all Catholics because all of us, by virtue of our baptism, bear the responsibility or the office of prophet. But in particular, I suggest that this falls to the clergy, whom God has sent as watchmen over the people to make sure that all of us are herded on the straight and narrow paths. Which means then there are times when you come to Mass and you hear homilies that build up confidence in God's providence, security in His mercy, appreciation for the wisdom of His plan. But there should also be times that you hear warnings and corrections that pertain to the dangers of our times. Because there are always dangers. And it's my responsibility to highlight them. In fact, I dare say, if you have never heard a homily that has challenged you, that's a problem. And the way you should interpret that is that you are not loved enough to hear the whole truth. But I will say, as a priest, responses to challenging homilies are oftentimes less than gracious. Since I've become a priest, I've experienced several times the, the painful side of this ministry where I have to stand here because that's my charge and proclaim very uncomfortable truths because they're not my truths. 
But they are the truths that are intended to save the flock. And what happens? Well, it depends, but the risk is people will walk out, they'll write nasty letters and they, they won't sign them, they'll slander my name, they'll assault my reputation across social media to thousands of people, but they would never, never pick up the phone and call and say, hey, can we talk? That would never happen. That is the experience of most priests. But when it comes to correction, we really should actually love those who are willing to offer it to us because they're putting themselves at the service of our good. And so I'll end with this. There's this great quote from St. Ambrose. When it comes to correction, he says, should a friend think he is being wronged, correct him nonetheless. Even if his soul is wounded by the bitterness of correction, correct him nonetheless. Wounds from a friend are better than the fraudulent kisses of an enemy. And so I say, would that each of us would be surrounded by so many Casey's who would love us enough to sacrifice themselves for our good.